Do you have any advice for someone listening that wants to be a change junkie? Yeah, don't be afraid of change. Change is inevitable. Change is happening in this very moment in ways that you can't even see it on a physical level, on a, in every kind of way. So when you know that that is the truth, then choose the way that you want to change. Really become the creator of your life instead of the bystander. Hi, I'm Ariel Charnas, and this is In House, my podcast about all the happenings in my life. Whether it's fashion, entrepreneurship, marriage, or mom life, you'll hear it all right here on In House. Hi, guys, welcome back to another episode of In House with me, Ariel Charnas. For this episode, I'm joined by a self proclaimed, self professed change junkie. Monica Berg is a thought leader, relationship expert, author, and mother of four, plus a host on her podcast, Spiritually Hungry along with her husband, Michael. Monica's mission is to show individuals how to create a life that not only feels like it's working, but most importantly, a life in which they are living and loving as the powerful, fulfilled person they've always wanted to be. Her most recent book, The Gift of Being Different, is co-written with her nine-year-old daughter, Abigail. Inspired by Abigail's dyslexia diagnosis, this book explores the feelings that arise for children who do not learn in a typical manner and celebrates how those differences make them strong. Welcome to the podcast, Monica. It's nice to meet you. You too. It's very impressive. I'm like reading all about your career and it's, wow, it's amazing. Thank you. Do you want to start off by talking a little bit about yourself and introducing yourself and just what drew you to helping, to wanting to help others? I know it sounds cliche, but it's kind of like it found me. I think that from a very young age, I, I felt different and I felt like I was visiting from somewhere else. And so I felt a sense of responsibility to figure out what my purpose was and to make sense of really the pain and the suffering and the lack that I saw around me. You know, I think that's very rare for a six-year-old or a five-year-old to think yeah. in that way, but that's where I was. And then I, you know, I saw my parents go through so many stages of life and I guess I was just paying attention, really watching them and saying, okay, well, this makes them happy, but then it's fleeting. And then they're unhappy about this, but is that really important? And, and then um, we moved from Louisiana, from New Orleans to Beverly Hills. And then, and then I went to Beverly Hills High School. And I guess that that period of my life was necessary because it really helped me understand the realm in which the rest of the world really lives in and the things that people think are important. And I often joke, although there's always some truth in it, that I'm happy I survived high school, <laughs> especially that one. And then I found my spirituality again when I was 17, and that's when I found Kabbalah. So I guess everything I had experienced until that time, I really felt, finally I had the answers. So I felt a sense of purpose and really a desire to help other people make meaning and purpose of their lives as well. So how can you explain more about your religion, how that has inspired you? So I wouldn't call it religion so much. I would call it spirituality. Okay. Because it's more about consciousness and um, expanding consciousness. And so Kabbalah is an ancient wisdom. And to really make a very deep esoteric wisdom, very simple in, in terms of understanding, it gives you the tools to be able to transform and really leave the world differently than how you came into it, because that is ultimately the purpose. 
And so then, of course, as things happen in life, and I'm not above that process, right? There were difficult things that happened to me after I found the the teachings of Kabbalah, but I was able to make them purposeful and I was able to move past them and use them for growth and motivators for change and never really get stuck in anything, but really see the gift in it. And I think if I had to say the one thing that the practice has given me is that, is to be able to really see purpose and meaning and joy in the hardest times of my life. That's incredible. I feel like that's very hard for people to do. Most it of it time, is. So. And, and I think that that's where we really get stuck, right? Like if I could only get past that, or if I didn't have right. that one problem, then I'd be happy. And that's the biggest trick of all. Wow. So what is a, what is a change junkie? What does that term mean? So I didn't come into the world that way. Speaking of changing, I am a Virgo. I'm very um, analytical. I love a, a good routine, a schedule. I enjoy all of that. But I realized that that need for control and the need to know, right? Because nobody likes to feel uncertain. That's our biggest fear is the unknown. And so I decided that I'm going to challenge that and really embrace change. And that means that you make plans and that you have goals and you have intention, but it also means that you're equal parts flexible. So if something doesn't happen or things change, I'm really able in a minute, just say, okay, so we're like, not, it's okay. Yeah. Right. We're going to do this now. And, and practicing that has really given me so much joy and fulfillment. And also I'm not now able to get stuck on things of like, Oh my right. God, I wanted that thing to happen. It didn't happen. Or, you know, this was my plan. Now what it's like, I don't even understand that way of living. Now it's just like, this is how I think today's going to go. And I'm totally open to a whole different reality if that's how it turns out. So what are the eight ways to live a bold, fulfilling life? Definitely want to know that. <laughs> so live a life where you're doing the things that you want to do. I think so many yeah. people live somebody else's version of a life, whether it's what your parents thought you should do, or what other people are doing that are your age or really live because everybody comes to a point where they're like, why did I make this choice? This is not really the right. life I wanted to live. One of my favorite books is called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And it's this woman who worked in hospice. She saw a lot of people transition. That's crazy. And she found oh that everybody had the same top five regrets. And one of them, what I didn't live the life that I wanted to. One was I wish that I had kept my friends through my lifetime. Interesting. Another was, I wish I'd spent less time at the office and more time with family. But it's the things that we don't do, right? Like stress, yeah. you know, really putting importance on, on the things that are not. So frame your own narrative in life is how to live boldly. So how do you feel about something that's happened? You know, not be afraid to speak up and stand up for what you believe. So often we want to be part right. of a group or we want to belong that we never really do that. And then you play it small. And again, that's not living up to integrity. You define your own limits and you don't have many, right? So it's really living out there in a bold way. I was like, I have a voice and it has to be enough that I can hear it and that I'm going to honor it. And if people like it, great. And if they don't, then they're not supposed to be part of my life. I love that mentality. It's not easy to do. It's not, but it takes practice. And once you do it, you're so free in a way that you didn't even think that you could be. Right. I 
I mean, how do you feel about social media then with everyone just trying to, you know, it's all about getting engagement and wanting people to approve of your images and what your the life, you know, it's exactly the opposite of what we should be doing. It's creating right? really a, a lot of unhappiness, especially for the next generation. I try not to, I just go on in the morning and evening just to see if something I posted, how it was received. Mm -hmm. And I will scroll maybe for five minutes in the day and that's it because it doesn't, it does alter my mood. I can feel it with it. If I'm on there for more than five minutes, I'm like, wait, wait, what's happening here? Now suddenly something's taken over my mind, my goals for the day. Like it's led me down this path. Um, A friend of mine, I think put it really appropriately. He said he was a, he's an immigrant and he grew up very poor And he said, if there was social media when he was a kid, he would have been so depressed because he remembers spring break, right? Um, His friends would say they're going to Miami. They lived in New York and he'd be like, okay, yeah, Miami. He didn't realize what was happening in Miami, right? He's like playing in the backyard in the dirt, not doing anything all summer, but he was happy because he didn't know what he was missing. And I think that's the biggest danger there. It gives this false sense that everybody else is living a better life than you. Right. That's exactly what it is. It's like a very scary place. And I worry about having uh, being a mother to three to three, you know, young girls, just I've experienced negativity from social media. And I'm lucky that it happened to me in my 30s, where I feel a little bit more mentally stable and secure. And I, you know, I have strong family relationships. But if that were to happen to a 11-year-old girl or I, I don't know what ages they're going on social media, there's just no – I mean, how do you survive that? Like that really terrifies me. You have a daughter. I mean, what what's your rules with social media and, and having a phone and that kind of stuff? Because if their friends are doing it, how do you set rules with that, you know? Yeah, I have two daughters and two sons. My second daughter – she decided when she was a sophomore in high school to go off of everything. She had gotten into wow. um, the, a, a kind of the wrong group of kids in this crowd, and she wasn't behaving in a way that she felt was within her own integrity. It's incredible. She recognized. We helped her in this one conversation we had because we were right. surprised by something we had discovered. And it sobered her up completely to like, wait a second, what am I doing? She changed her group of friends. She went off social media and she never went back on. And she is, thank God she's so happy. She's so grounded. She really knows what she believes and she's not interested in what anybody else does. So I don't care what anybody's doing. I don't care what her friends are doing. And the same thing with the youngest, you know, um, if anybody ever says, well, everybody else is doing it, I'm like, well, that's the exact reason why you shouldn't do it. I don't even care what the conversation's about anymore. Right. The fact that that is what's in your head, let's, then you shouldn't. Yeah. So no, no, I'm not. The answer is no. It's just, it's not necessary. And, uh, and it doesn't bring you joy and let's do things that light us up. And you're, you, it's, it's the right thing to do because they're not, they don't know what comes along with that. You know, they can't make the best right. choices for themselves. No, of course. So you talk about in your book, Rethink Love, building the framework for a lasting and fulfilling relationship. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Well, there's so much. It's, I mean, that book's really the Bible of love. I, I think that I meet with so many people day to day and relationships, you know, they're a mirror. And so it's either going to bring you great joy or make you miserable and sometimes both. So I set out to write a book. I think that if you follow it, really, it maps out how to live 
how to create the relationship that you want in life. And, and most importantly, the one with yourself. So that's where the book starts. It's three parts. I like the that. first part is me. Mm-hmm. It's everything that we don't really pay attention to because we think that love is outside of us. We think that we'll feel like we finally arrived, that we're whole, that we're amazing, that we're loved when somebody else loves us, but it can never be that way. And also you won't be able to give the kind of love you want if you don't give it to yourself first. So I spend eight chapters on how to do that, how to remove shame and blame and guilt. The second part is me to we, it's how to maintain who you are and, and all the things that you've become while navigating life with somebody else. And the third is we, which talks about really important things like fighting. Fighting is very important in a relationship. I know some couples think, oh, you know, my relationship, if it's good, we're never going to fight. It's going to be blissful all the time. No, fighting is important. You just need to find a fighting style. Um, yeah. talks about appreciation, vulnerability. And I think that the most important things to have in a relationship are laughter and levity. Because if it's all work and it's all, you know, serious and it's managing all these things where's the it has to be fun too or it doesn't feel worthwhile being vulnerable which has a bad rap but it's the most important thing and place to get to in a relationship we usually start relationships where we try to hide the things that aren't our best attributes which is silly you really want if you want to have the strongest relationship you want to be able to show all aspects of yourself Mm -hmm. and uh, the third is appreciation it's one of the first things that are ever lost in a relationship and ultimately, um, friendship, you know, I mean, right. we start out as friends, but that also seems to wane as the relationship goes on, unless you're really paying attention. Speaking of friendships, you know, outside of your spouse, what do you, what are, what's your advice on ones that bring you joy, but also don't make you happy if you have both of those in a friendship? I will not be friends with somebody that doesn't make me happy or make me feel good. It's just, it's, it's too much energy that is taken that you can't get back that needs to be used somewhere else. But how do you let go of the caring if like you, you know, so here's the thing you can, you can care about somebody and you can still be friends with somebody, but you can reframe what that friendship is. So you don't have to be as close as you were. You don't have to speak every day. You don't have to tell them things that don't feel safe to you, but you can still love them. You can still show up for them. You can still be kind to them. You can still consider them, right? You can just create boundaries and create, you know, relationships are meant to change. All relationships change, whether they're romantic or not. The free will here is that you get to choose in which way you direct that change. And very often we don't do that. We just go with the flow. We don't want to hurt anybody, but we're not really satisfied. Or we don't feel good in that person's company, but we, again, put their feelings before our own. And the way I look at life is that we only have a finite amount of time here. You have roughly a person has on average 4,000 weeks. Okay. It's scary if you look at it that way, but that's the truth. That is so creepy. And if you look at it like that, it's like, wait a second, if that's the case, I want to do things that are really meaningful in life. I want to say yes to the things that really light me up, that make me feel good, where I feel like I can make an impact and a difference. If you look at that, do you really have time to put energy into things that, yeah, that, that that don't make you happy and that aren't really necessary or real? I know. It's just, it's, that's what I need to work on because I feel like once I do, I would, I'll feel so free when I don't care about what others, you know, expect or, I don't know, think of me, I guess. I, I really, I let that go about 20 years ago. 
And, but it was work. It was real work. And I think that for me, I was pushed in a corner of, I was damned if I did, I was damned if I didn't. And I just felt like I, I I just can't do this anymore. I I need to just care at the end of the day, how I feel about what I've done. And of course that requires responsibility in living with integrity and making sure that I do things that are purposeful and meaningful each day. So I think it's twofold. I think one is how are you spending your time and is it true to what you really feel like you came to this world to do? And is it bringing out the best parts of you growing better parts of you? And when you start to live in that realm, it becomes very clear of what you need to let go of. It doesn't mean you need to throw people away. It doesn't mean you discard them. It just means you understand how to frame them or how much space and time and energy to give to them or their thoughts. You know, I read a quote the other day, um, that it's so silly how we give so much weight and merit to what people think of us when we don't really think much of them. (laughs) So true. It's so true. So you focus a lot on astrology. So can you talk about what can we learn about ourselves through our signs? So specifically Kabbalistic astrology, which goes by the lunar calendar. Okay. So it's based on the moon cycle. And it's very similar to the Gregorian calendar, but there'll be a slight, a few weeks that are different, right? So for instance, I'm a Virgo, both in the Gregorian and the lunar calendar. But for some... How do you know? How do you know what you are? So you can do a chart that goes by where you were born, the time you were born, the year you were born, and then it maps it out for you. And you're able to see according to the lunar calendar. For instance, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't really feel like my sign because maybe in the in the lunar calendar, you're more Leo Virgo cusp. But uh, so what sign are you? I'm a Gemini. Gemini. When's your birthday? June 13th. Both my daughters are Gemini and my husband is on the Me cusp. Me too. Really? Oh, no way. My, two of my daughters are Gemini's. When are their birthdays? I have a June 1st baby and my middle one's June 9th. And then my older one with all of the feelings and the fear is a Pisces. That makes sense too, though. She's March. But so, yeah. So astrology, Kabbalistic astrology really helps understand the nature of a person. Like I'm sure if you meet, I'm sure you see similarities with Gemini's, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see certain commonalities that they have. But what I love about Kabbalah is that we are able to change our nature if we really put the work in. So it's, there's certain characteristics. And if you can anticipate that, I think it really helps with parenting. Like I parent all four of my kids very differently based on who they are, like Aquarians. I have an Aquarius. He doesn't like rules. And if I had parented him, like do this because they said so, he would have laughed in my face beyond. It's so funny. It just never would have worked. So if right. I say, you know, I'm not really sure what you should do. What do you think you should do? Or why don't you try that? Or I trust you to make, you know, decisions. Suddenly like, wait, you trust me now? I need to be accountable. It's like a completely <laughs> different. So right. it really helps navigate, I think, in the workplace, definitely in relationships. It can inform you so much about what a person um, what their blockages are and what their um, what their style is. And then, of course, again, people can change, but it's a really great roadmap. And you you said you had four kids. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you did you always want to be a mother? It's interesting. It's interesting, you know, like when we started our, our call today, you said, oh, you know, what a career, this, I, you know, so many accomplishments. It's always like when I hear people say things, I'm like, who are they talking about? And it's not that <laughs> it's not that I, I it's not from a negative place or I'm not. Right. It's just I never had a plan. And so even yeah. in terms of how many kids or what did I want to be a mother? I really honestly the thing I always remembered is 
I need to find out why I was here. I need to learn to love myself and I need to share that. And that was it. It was really just a very basic formula. Yep. And I think though, the beauty of that is when you really live life in an authentic way and you're really true to yourself and you take yourself seriously in the ways of what you're meant to do, right? Not who you are, but who you could become, then everything kind of, you put that in every part of your life. Yeah, totally. I actually, I feel like I'm the same way. I never had a plan. I just did what I felt like I wanted to do in the moment. You know, I, I was doing a Q&A on my Instagram this morning and someone said, when did you know that you were ready to start trying for your second? And, for, and I was like, I, I didn't. I just felt like, I don't know, felt like very natural, like, okay, now I want to start trying. It just came to me, you know? But so, yeah, I, I understand that question is definitely... Um, I feel the exact same way. What have you learned about yourself since becoming a mother? I write a lot about parenting. I've written about them in my books. Uh, also, there's at the end of Fears on an Option, I have seven things I want my daughters to know, which I'm really proud of. It was all the things that I took a lifetime to learn myself. But um, I learned something different with every child, to be honest. Each child has taught me something uniquely different and has made me a different person. I think with my first I was so young when I had him. Um, and it was the first time I felt, of course, I loved my husband, but it was the first time I felt that kind of love ever, a, a love that... It's hard to describe. It is. And it makes me emotional just even thinking about it. But it was, you know, and I think that if you take it to any first, right, your first yeah. taste, like if you could remember the first time you saw color, you know, it's, yep. it's just that kind of thing that, that takes you aback. It's a feeling. And, and he just made me so incredibly happy. And then with my second child, he was born with Down syndrome. And I found out a few hours after he was born. And, and so it, he just taught me so much about removing shame and about grief and about reframing things, about acceptance, about empathy, about the strength of myself, but also you know, he's made me a a person I never could have become if I didn't have him in the way that he came. He's my greatest teacher. My third was healing. You know, she really healed me. She just was like love and my first daughter. And she softened me in the parts that I think became a little hard after I had Josh, even though I was so blessed and I really was grateful. You know, it just, it closed me in a way because it was painful Um, So she opened that. And then my fourth, uh, I was such a different person by the time I had her. Uh, I was a writer. I was a teacher. I was strong in ways I didn't think I could ever be. And she, I think, really opened my intuition. You know, when I was pregnant with her, she would speak to me from the womb. I mean, she really, she would hug me. I could feel her like, I mean, I just, it was a different kind of like, so I understood body, mind, spirit in a way that I hadn't before. So you know, I think that's the thing with, for me, it was motherhood. I don't think it has to be. Some people aren't parents or don't want to be. But I think that if you really allow life to teach you, especially in the in the roles that you think you need to be the teacher, mm-hmm. and you let life come and, and show you all the beautiful things that you're meant to become, and it's through pain sometimes too, right. then you, you'll be so surprised about how beautiful you can be and how beautiful life is. And it just all makes sense, especially when it's messy. 
you're releasing your next book, The Gift of Being Different, and it was co-written, right, with your nine-year-old daughter? Yes, yes. Very proud of that. It's our first That's children's so book cool. in a series of 10 books on being um, is the series. And uh, it's such a beautiful book. I mean, and the illustrations are stunning also. But we found out that she had dyslexia two years ago. Mm-hmm. And she is exceptionally intelligent, but she couldn't read with efficiency until the third grade when we finally put her into a school that helps children with dyslexia. It's a great school in New York called Winward. But I wrote the book with her because she came to me one day and I had just found out her diagnosis, but I hadn't told her because I was really, I wanted to make sure that I understood it so I could articulate it to her so she would see it as a gift, right? That everything that that's, you're understanding my way of approaching life now. But before I could, because my mother-in-law was on her deathbed at that time, it's been a heavy two years. And I'm thinking, and I'm reading a book on how to do it. And she comes to me, she's like, mommy, am I stupid? Is that why I need so much extra help? And I was like, okay, everything stops. Because I remember feeling like that as a child. I think often people do and they don't talk about it. So first I felt so grateful that she felt comfortable to tell me that, right? Right. And I said, you are so smart. Why are you saying that? And she started to go through her feelings and I said, well, actually, Abigail, you have something called dyslexia. Have you ever heard of that word? And she said, no. And I explained to her what it is. And um, I could see that she kind of believed me, but not fully. Right. And so I asked her and she's like, no, I know. But I I just don't know if it's really true what you're saying. So I had this book called The Gift of Dyslexia and I pulled it out. And I said, you know, I really wanted to learn about how you learn. So I'm reading this book. And I pull it out and she sees that in the margin, it says Abigail to a T. And it was like a list of 10 characteristics people with dyslexia have. And she said, what does that mean? I said, well, this describes you. And I started going through it. Like you see the world through pictures that she was like, yes, that's me. Oh yes, that's me. And then I'd had notable people who have dyslexia, like Albert Einstein, Steven Spielberg, you know, Alexander Graham Bell, Picasso. Yeah. So as she started to see like these great people, have dyslexia. She's like, oh, you know, and then we reframed it just like that. And suddenly the next day, believe it or not, started going over to everybody. I have a superpower. It's called dyslexia. What's yours? <laughs> she was just over the <laughs> That's amazing. So That's I was awesome. so inspired. We wrote the book very quickly. Um, and it's really about that. I mean, everybody has something, right? So if yeah. we can, and, and the parts of ourselves that we feel most shame about that we try to hide. If we can really show that Open to the world yeah. and t- then because we're all different and that's what makes the world beautiful enough with trying to be a cookie cutter version of like, this is how it's supposed to be. And the, it, different is awesome. I totally agree. Do you have any advice for someone listening that wants to be a change junkie? Yeah. Don't be afraid of change. Change is inevitable change is happening in this very moment in ways that you can't even see it on a physical level on in every kind of way so when you know that that is a truth then choose the way that you want to change really become the creator of your life instead of the bystander it's so funny when you say that i think to myself the scary part for me is just the lack of control you don't have that's it. literally I know. You have that's no control. It. And Zero. you have to accept that. And that's when you'll fe- feel, you know, okay. You have to love that. You have to say, I'm not in control. How great is that? There's something bigger than me at bay in the universe. I'm going to tap into that. I'm going to tap into my greatness that's tapped into something that's forever. And when you live like that, then what is there to fear except yeah. for losing, missing your life, really? No, it's true. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us. How can how can people follow you and keep up with you and everything that you do? So first, um, go to Amazon and order The Gift of Being Different right now. It's it's an awesome book for kids and parents and adults. I think it's great for everybody. You can follow me at RethinkLife.today is my blog, actually. And you can follow me at uh, Monica Arberg 74 on social media. Thank you so much. This has really been such a powerful conversation, I'm sure for a lot of people listening, but for me as well. I'm like very excited with what I've taken away from our conversation. Thank you to all the listeners out there. You can reach out to us with any questions about the podcast or who you want us to bring on next. Just DM us on Instagram at Something Navy and we'll see you next week. That's a wrap for today's episode of In-House. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more thoughtful discussions and amazing guests. Make sure you follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And of course, follow me at Ariel Charnis and at Something Navy. See you next week.